Good morning. Appreciate you all being here. Uh, my name is Rick Vitanovitz. For those who don't know me, I'm a ruling elder here at the church, Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church, and I have the distinct joy and pleasure uh, to be uh, leading uh, adult Sunday school. It's been a while for me. Um, <clears throat> it's been a while for me. Gosh, it's been the last time was uh, on the book of um, Judges, I think. That was ancient history back at, you know, the old place of, of worship. So, um, you know, just bear with me. Give me some grace, you know, as I plod, you know, through this, you know, heavy laden topic of the holiness of God. In fact, um, uh, it was uh, McGuire who called me up, I think on Monday or Tuesday or something like that and said, hey, Rick, you know, you wanna teach uh, adult Sunday school? And I said, yeah, what about? And he, he said, yeah, on the holiness of God. I'm like, wow, that's specific. Okay, so, um, uh, you know, but it's really based on the book that we plan on reading for the uh, men's book discussion uh, by R.C. Sproul, The Holiness of God. So I said, well, you know, what kind of aspect do you want me to cover on the holiness of God, uh, Dave? And he said, you know, anything you want, Rick. And I'm like, you know, if you know me, I'm like, my brain is like, you know, all over the place, right? So you could, uh, and Shawnee could attest that, um, you know, I spent quite a bit of time rereading the book, going to all these other, I mean, you know, I kind of overdo it a little bit, you know, but I'm getting prepared for this. So again, if I, um, you know, I make a misstep, misstep uh, please give me a little bit of grace there. And, um, you know, before further ado, you know, let me pray on God's blessing on this study. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time today that we could delve into your word and to consider the holiness of the one and holy and true God. And we pray that um, everything that we discuss, the words that come out of my mouth, the discussion that we have will be true and pleasing to you so that your name may be glorified in this building and then as we proceed out of this building that we would be equipped to glorify you in all things, we pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name and for his sake and the sake of his church, amen. Okay, so with that said, um, I know that's an overused term, but anyway. Um, anyway, the, the topic was suggested, you know, based on um, R.C. Sproul. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that if I write anything on here or what I wrote, I'm a terrible speller. So uh, you might want to corner me maybe, again, some grace there after, you know, the study and say, hey, Rick, you know, you got that a little bit wrong. But what's that? Yet, yeah. what's that Sproul's first line? See, Sean is already, you know, giving me the what if. But, you know, I, you know, to my defense, I got the first line right. So, so there you go. The spell check didn't catch that one. So, but anyway, uh, this will not be a review of the book. Okay, and I was um, careful not to do that because I really don't want to give the men an out, you know, to say, okay, everything's reviewed, you don't need to show up, you know, on September 13th, Saturday morning at seven o'clock here at the building, right? So uh, again, this will be based largely on what RC, you know, has to say about the holiness of God. 
And you know, just as a you know in way of introduction, you know, R.C.'s quest uh, to understand the holiness of God was, you know, based pretty much on his personal, intellectual, maybe emotional wrestling with God, and and I, I get that not only from the book itself, but he takes things out of this book, and if you ever visit uh, the Legionnaire Ministries website, it is a wealth of, of knowledge, especially in the Reformed tradition, you know, particularly when it comes to the holiness of God. So, you know, after reading, you know, a lot of these snippets, and there are many of them, you get a pretty much a flavor on where, you know, R.C.'s head is at with regard to that. But you know, and I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, you know, it all started, you know, he says in chapter one, where, and I, I think he's embellishing a little bit here, as he normally does, but he talks about his, uh, an incident where he was a student in seminary, and he felt, after, you know, studying, um, you know, the theology from St. Augustine, he felt this pressure, if you will, this presence to go out and visit uh, the chapel. And while he was in the chapel, he felt that he had this feeling of awe, this feeling of grandeur, this feeling of majesty that was at first dissettling, uh, you might say, disheveling, whatever you want to call it, but it was little, you know, kind of making him feel a little uncomfortable, if you will. But uh, then he had this sense of, of peace and that he thought, why, why? You know, well, what I'm going to do is I am going to make it my quest, if you will, <laughs> you know, to study the idea of holiness. And... Um, and also the idea of how holiness comes into play and how God that is holy allow all this crazy stuff that happens in the world. So when you read this book, he not only talks about, you know, the fact of what holiness means, but how it relates to the rest of the world, what it means in terms of, of things of his eminence and mercy and grace. So without, without being holy, which tends to play into having a having uh, being just and God's wrath you have to have those things before you can even talk about grace and mercy right so um, so that is kind of some of the backdrop um, so holiness has been an ongoing attribute in uh, RC's world uh, as you know he's the founder of Legionnaire Ministries uh, in fact you know, with the mission of proclaiming, teaching, and defending the holiness of God and all its fullness to as many people as possible. So in R.C. Sproul's life, this is kind of, like I said, his quest. For me, the book, The Holiness of God, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's uber informative, and at times troubling and, and actually almost alarming. In fact, you know, to me, there's parts of the book that was pretty much a wake-up call you know, for me and my walk with Christ. Um, and that is, uh, if you read the book, chapter six, for me, was uh, pretty much very telling in that, you know, hey, Rick, what are you doing, okay? This is what you need to be thinking about, and this is where your head needs to be wrapped around. 
You know, there's uh, many, and I went to Goodreads, there are many who criticize seemingly insignificant portions of the book, but be, be that as it may, um, if you look at the statistics on that website, over 95%, you know, the people who read R.C. Sproul's book, uh, The Holiness of God, rated it a three or three to five, okay? With the large majority, over 50% being a four to five. So it's a pretty good read. I highly recommend it. Um, in the next few minutes, I'm gonna come off maybe a little bit lopsided in the way of attributes focusing on the holiness of God rather than you know mercy and grace. But rest assured that you need to have, you need to understand the holiness and therefore you know the justice and wrath of God to really understand you know how important mercy and grace is. Any questions thus far? Okay. So, you know, in terms of, you know, the writings of, um, you know, the uh, dealing with the holiness of God, what else is there out there, right? So, I, you know, this took up a lot of my time. I'm thinking, well, maybe I want to give a little bit of backdrop about this. What else is there? And you folks might have some other, you know, ideas about this. But I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go to the Westminster Confession of Faith and see what they have about the holiness of God. And I'll point that out, not a whole lot there. But, um, and then even the, uh, you know, the uh, larger and shorter catechism, not a whole lot there. Uh, then I went to the internet and I found things like The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Not sure about, I never heard of him, I guess, maybe I should, but not sure of where his you know, disposition is in the realm of things like uh, semi-Pelagianism, Augustinianism, all that kind of stuff. But then J.C. Uh, Ryle's book, The Holiness in Its Nature, which is a Okay, there you go. So we could, we could feel pretty good about that. Then the idea of the holy, and if not, I guess we're in trouble. Uh, Rudolf Otto and A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy and Attributes of God, is one to name a few. There might be some others out there should you, know, you folks want to you know, continue in this study on the, on the holiness of God. But... You know, just let me read, uh, you know, because I thought, well, I'm going to start from basics here before I start talking about R.C. Sproul's stuff. But, you know, what does the Westminster, Westminster Confession of Faith have to say about holy? Well, not really a whole lot specifically, but it talks about all the attributes of God where it says uh, there is but one holy, living, and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, being not changeable, immense, large, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his immutable, unchangeable will, and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him and withal most just, most terrible in his judgments, hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty. So the one thing that I wanted to point out here was in this was most holy, using the word most. And I think whenever you see that, it's like exclamation point, 
um, this is a word we're not just going to say holy. We want you to make sure that you know that this is most holy. There's nothing more holy. I mean, in our way of speaking, if I say somebody's holy, well, he's holy, right? That's holy. But no, uh, I think what the writers and the divines wanted to do here is to say most holy. It, this is it. There's nothing else, right? And then, of course, that's, you know, uh, distilled down into, you know, the larger catechism, which I won't, in the virtue of time, read to you, but it's, I think, in your notes. Uh, no, um, and there's some others. Uh, I know that some people don't like this writer for some reason, but Louis Burkhoff and I used, uh, when I first became an elder, that was a text that was used to kind of train me. But uh, Louis Burkhoff makes the attempt in his summary of Christian doctrine. Uh, God's holiness is first of all the divine perfection by which he is absolutely distinct from all his creatures. So he's separate, he's distinct from all his creatures and exalted above them in infinite majesty. Uh, a proof text here is Exodus 15, 11. Uh, he is majestic in holiness. In Isaiah 57, 15, he is a high and lofty one whose name is holy. Okay, and I'm gonna touch on whose name is holy in a, quite a second, but but it denotes in the second place that he is free from all moral impurity or sin and is therefore morally perfect. In the presence of the holy God, man is deeply conscious of his sin, deeply conscious of his sin. And you know, all these things, uh, incidentally, R.C. Sproul does touch on, okay? So in uh, R.C.'s way of thinking, he is, uh, he is majestic, he has grandeur, he is, he is just above all, he is immense, he is transcendent. So you could almost think of you know, holiness as a function of the sum of all his attributes, right? Okay, it's hard even for Tozer to put together in one, in one sentence you know, what holiness is. Uh, A.W. Tozer in his uh, chapter 21 in, his, uh, in the knowledge of the holy, he says, we know nothing of the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. So the point is, I think he's making, we could talk about it, okay, as much as we can from what we read in the Holy Scripture, but it's just not enough, okay? I mean, look at uh, R.C. had to put together a whole book on what he thought about God's holiness, and I, still, he would even admit that he doesn't have it all, okay? Um, some of the, um, you know, proof texts that I would call that, you know, is R.C. Sproul's favorites, okay? I have a list of them, but uh, the number one is the Lord's Prayer, and I'll, I'll go over that in a second with one aspect of the holiness of God. But another one that I think that's his favorite is Isaiah's interaction with God. And we'll, we'll go through that again. And we've had, um, you know, Tim, I think you've uh, preached, you know, sermons specifically 
on, you know, when Isaiah was hired to be a prophet, you know, from the Lord of hosts. And then Uzzah's, uh, I, I don't know whether I ha I'm pronouncing that name correctly, but Uzzah's mistake, um, Aaron, that is in First Chronicles 13. It's also in Second Samuel. So I think we're going to be hearing from Tim uh, about that aspect in some time in the next coming weeks. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, the use of strange fire, that's found in Leviticus 10. Habakkuk's complaint and ascent, which we find in uh, the first chapter of Habakkuk, verse 13. And in fact, I thought, hmm, it gave me an opportunity to read that book because I don't think I've ever read through the whole thing, okay? It's not a, it's not a very, um, it's not a very uh, long book at all. It's like, what, a few chapters, three. Job's complaint and God's response. Now, this is a, a common one that we've heard before. Uh, Moses in the burning bush, Moses wanting to see God, which, uh, by the way, if you ever go to Ligonier Ministries' uh, website and you want to hear um, uh, R.C.'s explanation of that event, it's kind of humorous to me, you know, the way that he puts it. Uh, it's not, you know, in its entirety, but the way he puts it is kind of interesting. Jesus calming the storm, Jesus' large catch of fish, and Paul's conversion. So, uh, in time, if we get to some of those, we'll touch on those, but I didn't want to go through all of them because we only have 45 minutes. Um, <clears throat> chapter 1, uh, and I'll just go through, what I'd like to do is, you know, maybe cue up the book I'll talk a little bit about chapter one and two, uh, and then three, and then I will, you know, take some uh, items from chapter six, and then that will be it. But um, the book itself, and maybe I'm digressing here a little bit, uh, the book itself is what, like about 11 chapters? And in your handout, I do have, you know, a summary of those. Uh, it's 11 chapters, the, the titles are all there. I did put a summary on them, but you know what? You could read that summary, but those are just my notes. So there's probably misspellings and some mistakes and things like that, but when I prepared for it, I thought it helpful for myself to write a summary of each chapter, cueing my brain up a little bit before I started talking, right? So um, there it is, but chapter one, uh, R.C. calls the Holy Grail. And this is where, you know, uh, R.C. Sproul is becoming interested, you know, in the whole topic of the holiness of God. And like I said earlier, um, he talks a little bit about, you know, this event uh, in his life, you know, where he, you know, visits a chapel, a chapel where he was studying and he has this sense of awe, this majesty, this, uh, I'm not gonna say dread, but you know, this you know, kind of quote unquote fear, which became you know, actually um, uh, a season of peace for him. So he illustrates uh, even the holiness of God's name using the Lord's Prayer. And if you ever read this book, it, it does, 
It's not like, you know, when we read J.I. Packer, where J.I. Packer is very organized, even to a fall. Everything is just laid out just so and things like that. When you read R.C., it's like bing, 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 bing. You know, you're kind of a little bit all over the place. And like I said, like if you ever wanted to try and distill that down into, you know, a, a linear way of thinking, which we often like to do, Okay, we're not Jewish, we're, you know, we're, we're, things are a little bit circular. You know, our ways of thinking are always linear. If you try to do that, good luck. So, but anyway, um, he's a little bit all over the place, but he does illustrate uh, first, in the first chapter, that even God's name is holy. Even just you know, referring to him should be done with reverence and awe. And he uses, um, you know, the Lord's Prayer to do that. And we find that, you know, in the book of Matthew uh, 6 to 9. And let me read that um, just to cue up what I'm about to say. So Matthew, uh, find that, 6. Nine. <clears throat> okay. Do I got that right? Not from ten. Right. Okay. Thank you, dear. All right. So Jesus says, "Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." So. He didn't go through a whole lot of other stuff, right? The first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth is our Father in heaven, transcendence, okay? He's above all. Hallowed, holy be your name. So before we even talk about anything, asking or praying, we are assenting that God is holy. Okay, nothing else. Okay, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what R.C. says in this particular case that first of all, God's name is holy in heaven. Okay, so everything from there follows. Not only is his name holy in heaven, but then his name is holy on earth and all his creation. So, so you know that even in uh, the days, the Israelites, when God said what his name is, I mean, it was a spec, I mean, you really couldn't, you know, they made it a point not even to try to utter his name, okay? They were afraid to do that because of how holy his name is, but not only is God holy and his actions are holy, but his name is holy. Whenever we are to think about the Lord God of hosts, we are to treat it with respect and awe. Okay, so that's the first, you know, that's the first chapter, you know, of, of Sproul. So he wants people to get a sense of uh, transcendence reverence and quote unquote fear, you know, of who God is and, and God himself. 
So then uh, in chapter uh, two, uh, he cues it up, and it's a major treatment of Isaiah six, where you know he kind of you know maybe jokingly says Isaiah is hired to be God's prophet, and this hiring, this uh, interview, if you will, was you know kind of not you know a question. Like for example, and what he will say is he had no choice. So it's not like you know um, you know Isaiah interviewed for the job and he thought mm, well you know maybe I'll do it you know maybe I'll not we'll, we'll see no 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 this is it okay this is what you're you're going to do and as we will read Isaiah wholeheartedly assented to and it said yes you know send me but Isaiah 1 uh, six, uh, one through eight, and I'll read out of the NIV. I apologize for that, but in advance, but here it goes. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, this is Isaiah speaking, seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, or I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in, the, in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, not here I am, but here am I, send me. He said, go. So, you know, um, R.C. explains uh, in his storytelling that you might say, or if you will, you know, Isaiah was a man who came out of the higher echelons of, of politics. You know, he was, he was a dude. So considered by contemporaries to be most righteous man in the nation, according to him, a paragon of virtue, okay? So he's the guy. He goes to the temple, may have been worried about the state of affairs of the nation, which is, you know, actually from RC, another, you know, another, um, how could I say, uh, sermon, uh, because that was a time when, um, uh, there were some, you know, troubling years. King Uzziah was uh, a good king. He reigned for, you know, quite a few years. And after he died, it's kind of like, okay, now it's going to happen to the state of the nation of Israel. 
So in R.C.'s mind, God is also telling him first and foremost, I am God. This is my world. I am in control. Don't worry about what's going on here. I got it down, all right? So, and here's why. I am transcendent. I am holy. I am magnificent. Okay, so you could see by what he says, you know, in, in explaining what he saw, uh, the train of his robe was filled, was filling the whole temple. Above him were seraphs, these, you know, beings that he couldn't quite explain, but he could, he could say what they looked like. The place was filled with smoke. Everything shook. And then, on to, to top that off, these beings, these seraphs, said, holy, holy, holy. Three times used to underscore the holiness of God in, the, in this song in terms of emphasis. Now, you know, R.C. kind of makes a, a kind of a big deal over this, you know, in the book where, uh, you know, he mentions that uh, in the linguistics of, you know, Hebrews, uh, of the Hebrews, you know, often what we'll do to make, you know, a point in our writing, we might, you know, using our word processor, you know, we might make a bold letter, you know, make a letter bold, maybe underline it, maybe put an exclamation point. If we wanted to put all three, you know, bold, big, underline, exclamation point, you know, just to get a point across, right? But what the Hebrew, in Hebrew writing, um, what they did is they repeated things. Okay, so in this case, it's like, you know, for example, uh, uh, Jesus might say, truly, truly. He's making a point, you know, to either the disciples or the Pharisees or whatever, right? Two times. So to uh, R.C.'s way of thinking, and not just two times, but three times. So he's raising the bar, you know, what God is doing is raising the bar to a whole new level. Not only twice, but holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. So, um, it's almost like, uh, um, you know, saying, whoa, 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 okay? No place is the attribute of God revealed to the third degree. Isaiah was then, at that point, you know, it says in this um, uh, translation, you know, he's ruined, but another way of saying it is undone. And R.C. Sproul likes that a little bit better in that by saying, I am undone, it literally means to come apart at the seams. <laughs> so just imagine somebody, you know, coming to apart at the seams. You know, that's kind of the way he felt. And the point here is that, you know, he is now in the presence of the Almighty God. So, he now has a sense of his sinfulness, his creatureliness. There is nothing that he could possibly, it's, he's totally uncomfortable, okay, to say the least. I am a man of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips. So to RC, you got a dirty mouth. What comes out of a man is dirty and this is pervasive. I mean, there is this sense that he is sinful. There, He's undone. I mean, we have this holy, pure, and perfect God that's speaking to him right now 
he understands that I, I can't be compa- I'm not compatible with this guy, right? With with the Lord. But righteous Isaiah realizes explicitly at this point his sinfulness and unworthiness. Isaiah had nowhere to go, you know. He thought he knew he was going to die. He was guilty. The uncleanliness had to be dealt with. But what did God do here in this particular case? You know, we talk about God's holiness as justice, but in this particular case, God had a task for Isaiah. What happened next? What's that? He was purified. He was purified. So his guilt was removed by taking the tongue by, from a tongue, coal from the altar, and purifying and putting it in his mouth and purifying him. His sin was removed. Now he could hear God. He could understand what God is saying. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, rush hour. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Well, you know, now God, now uh, Isaiah is understanding what's going on. Uh, R.C. goes on to say, is this not a pattern? You know, is this not a pattern? God appears, people are undone. God forgives and heals and puts back together. Then God sends. So, while God is holy, he is also merciful. He will allow you to become undone, but he will put you back together for his use. That really resonated with me. I don't know about you guys. Look at the, look at, uh, the life of Saul, you know, of Tarsus. You know, he thought he was zealous. You know, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He thought he had it all together and what happened. You know, he was chasing uh, Christians down, you know, making sure they were, you know, uh, put to death or whatnot. But then to glorify Jesus in an instant of glory struck down Paul. And what was Paul's answer? Who are you, Lord? He was blinded and could not see for days. Jesus told him what to do, and all he could say is, yes, Lord. Okay, any questions or comments thus far before we head into chapter two? We have 10 minutes. Uh, Chapter three, excuse me. Anything? All right. I don't know if that's good or bad. Okay, so this is where R.C. Sproul um, gets down to it. You know, he's talking about all this stuff, and you're like, okay, will you tell me what the holiness of God means to you? And he says, like, all right, I'll tell you already, chapter three. It's hard to define holiness in a simple word or simple couple of sentences. It's almost impossible. And he says, there is much to define holiness. Scripture defines holiness in various ways, and you've heard this before, so, but I'll say it again uh, anyway. Number one, holy, uh, there's a sense of purity, free from every stain, holy, perfect, and immaculate in every detail. You know, he claims most think of this first. But also, holy also means to, sep- to separate, to cut or to separate, or to cut apart or to cut some, uh, above something. He uses the term, 
a cut above the rest. You've heard that before, right? He's a cut above the rest, man. That's pretty cool. All right. All right. So God's holiness is not only a cut above, but it's transcendent, as I mentioned before. Exceeding usual limits, i.e., he's infinite, no limitations. Okay, you've heard Mark talk about this and the attributes of God. He's above and beyond us. His greatness or immensity includes powerfulness, majestic or majesty, loftiness. God is an infinite cut above everyone else. God is so other that he is foreign and distinctly and overwhelmingly different. And we have a sense of that, right? Uh, he'll go on to talk about, um, you know, what I will say in a, few, a couple of minutes here, I'll have to speed up. Now, God is the only one that can make things holy. We talked about, you know, separate and being holy, but, you know, he's the only one that we can't make things holy. Only God can make things holy. Only God could indicate, you know, to separate, to sanctify or consecrate someone for, you know, from the common or the, what he calls the profane. God is the only one who can initiate and execute holiness. And when something is consecrated for holiness, uh, for holy use, it is now special and ought or must not be used for common use. So in Old Testament, he makes a big point of that, right? So you look at the case of, of Aaron's, uh, uh, Aaron's um, you know, son's mistake. You know, they used a strange fire. They were supposed to use a certain kind of fire. No, they didn't do that. And boom, they were killed right on the spot. He does make a caveat in this chapter. The idea of purity is not excluded from being holy necessarily. Being pure does not limit what is necessarily holy because if it could be separated for a holy use, not necessarily being holy at that point of time. He makes, also makes a point that calling something holy that is not holy, that is consecrated by God, is idolatry. So we need to be careful, you know, about these kind of things. To worship the creature or something created is and not consecrated by God rather than the creator is sin of idolatry. And I'll skip over some things here, but the he ends off the... Um, you know, the chapter by talking about what xenophobia is. And I had to look, you know, look that one up too. But, you know, xenophobia is the fear of anything that is strange or foreign to us. And basically what his point is, is that since God is uniquely and transcendently different than any of us, we have a fear intrinsically of God. And he cues that up, and I'm not going to talk about it, but he cues that up in his chapter four, so you'll have to read the book. Thank you so much. Okay, so chapter six, uh, and this to me uh, was a very, I thought, it was a little bit all over the place, but it was a, it was a long but very compelling you know, chapter. 
and this is called in his book, Holy Justice. And what he does in this particular chapter is, it's a treatment, if you will, uh, to square away some of the most significant judgments of God in the Old Testament and to illustrate God's holiness and justifying uh, that it is right, okay? So uh, two of the, the biggest things, uh, incidents that he uses in the Old Testament is uh, number one, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, the use of strange fire, which is found in the Leviticus 10. Um, or, you know, if you wanted to read the whole thing, you know, 10 through 11. But just bear with me for just, or indulge me just for a moment. I'll read that just to give you uh, like a primer. But in Leviticus 10, reading from the NIV, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now here's the thing. Uh, evidently, Aaron probably complained to Moses, and Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. Okay, so, you know, Nadab and Abihu should have known better, right? They've been trained. They've been instructed, okay? But what they did, and they've been told that God is holy. You need to do it this way. No other way. But they decide, hey, man, I'm just going to do something a little bit different. God had a different idea. God's, Moses explained, Aaron, among, remember what he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. Okay. Then Uzzah's mistake, okay, which we find in 1 Chronicles uh, 13, but um, also uh, in 2 Samuel, and uh, what's that? First Chronicles 13, where are you? There you are. Okay, all right. So they, uh, it, it's kind of a long story here, but what happens is, uh, is that you know, the Ark of the Covenant is with the Philistines and David gets the bright idea, hey, we're gonna bring the Ark back, man. We, we gotta get this back. So they say, okay, well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get a cart and we're going to um, put the Ark on top of the cart and we're gonna bring it back, okay? And so uh, no conference was made with the priests at the time. He just said, this is what we're gonna do. And uh, it starts off here in verse seven, they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ohio guiding it. Uh, not Ohio, but Ohio. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs, with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, 
Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Again, uh, Uzzah was in a line of uh, Levites that were tasked to, um, you know, to take care of all the holy things of the Lord. So they were instructed exactly what they needed to do to move the Ark of the Covenant. So um, they didn't quite do that, did they? They put it on a cart. They were supposed to, you know, carry it, you know, by using, um, you know, you might say posts that were gilded out of uh, acacia wood and, 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 uh, and gold. That didn't happen. So it was like they say, you know, a mess. It was a hot mess. But Uzzah made the mistake of putting his hand against the ark and he just can't do that. God's justice is a product of who he is, his holy character. In this case, his righteousness, which is of two sorts. And uh, R.C. goes on to explain internal and external. What God does is always consistent of who God is. Okay, he's immutable, he is unchangeable. He's also pure. Internal, his moral excellence and absolute purity. External, incapable of an unholy act. Thus, his actions are always just. He goes on in this chapter, since we are God's image bearers, the very act of sin is the ultimate insult to God's holiness that we think our way is better than his perfect way of doing things. How often do we think that, okay? Look at the, what happened to Adam and Eve, right? God said something and they thought otherwise, and then they made excuses. God's forbearance and patience, if you will, and this is where, you know, it gets, it's a very hard, not hard, but very, an eye-opener. Many times it's mistaken that we should expect it. God's forbearance and patience, if you will, is many times mistaken that we should expect it. In the New Testament, God, through the work of Christ, is merciful and full of grace. God's mercy and grace is God's usual course of action. It was also in the Old Testament, and we, we could spend another hour, a few hours talking about that. And this is also mistaken to where we expect that too, don't we? You know, don't people say, well, you know, we went to a church where the pastor would say, God is love, let's celebrate. I tend to hear, you know, that, 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 uh, that song in back of my, uh, my head, celebrate good times, but that's not it, right? To the point that justice and wrath is met with surprise and indignation and even anger and rebellion. So I think what R.C. is saying here is, you know, he's kind of trying to clanging the warning bell here, if you will, that we shouldn't necessarily be too, how could I say, lax you know, in our thinking, oh, you know, God will forgive, it's okay, you know, like just chill out, man, no. God is a holy God, okay? So through our sanctification, you know, I'm coming even through my mind that, you know, you gotta put some effort into this, okay? It's not your effort, but your effort through Christ and, you know, his work within you.
we should be surprised uh, why we did get, you know, I, he goes on to say, maybe we should not be surprised at all why we did get grace, but why we did not, you know, how could he put it here? Let me back up. Um, we often think that we want more grace, right? We just say, I, I just, I need more grace, okay? But maybe what we should be thinking is, is why did we get grace at all? Think about that one. Why did we get grace at all? And we got grace at all because of the loving kindness of God the Father in eternity past. Lastly, Sproul contends that mercy, his point is, is not everlasting and that at some point judgment will be poured out on all of uh, civilization. So he's, he's not only talking about um, you know, mercy and grace that it's out there and that people you know, tend to take it for granted, but also he's contending that mercy is not everlasting, that the time is now. So in later chapters, he goes on to use uh, Jonathan Edwards' um, you know, book, what is it, um, what is it, Sean? Sinner at the hands of an angry God, right? So his view is like the time is now. While it is today, you know, let us embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, you know, that is uh, all that I have for today. Uh, it's 20 minutes after the hour. Um, is there any questions or comments very quickly? On the first page, it's Jerry Bridges, not Jeff Bridges, for books. Now, I said, I asked for, you know, for you folks to kind of, you know, put me in a corner and tell me. But if you want to do that, it's okay. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Who's Jeff Bridges? Okay. Anything else? Yes, Aaron. He touched, he touched the ark, but how do they carry it away to Obadinam's house, and uh, how do they get it on the I didn't cart? hear you. Repeat the question. Uzziah touched the ark and died, right? Yes. How do they get it on the cart, and how do they carry it away to the other house? You know, that, that's, a, that's a, I don't know. Perhaps, Pastor, you, you have a comment on that, but I really don't know the answer to that question. I'll talk about it next Sunday. They probably used the post to put it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we're not going to use Raiders of the Lost Ark. But. Okay. It was said the oxen were driven where they were supposed to go, but evidently, um, I would almost guess that um, somehow it was transferred from one cart to another because the Philistines used carts to transfer the ark. So somehow they must have, you know, kind of slid it over to another cart. I'm just a guess, but I, I don't know. I'm sorry, Aaron. I don't know the answer to your question. Anything else before we 
Okay, we're out of time. Thank you so much. Let me close in prayer real quick. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. Again, that we can, you know, discuss the holiness of God. We pray that, you know, whatever has been mentioned, discussed, would be edifying to us, that we may glorify you in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.